Welcome back to another Takes by the Lake. Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com. More Browns football talk. We're going to continue to do it. I swear at some point we'll switch to LeBron or something. I don't know. The Indians bullpen. But another great guest today. You know what we are going to do? We're going to try to make a little trip around the AFC North at some point. I'm going to try to get a Steelers writer, a Bengals writer, and a Ravens writer on in the coming weeks to try to figure out where the Browns fit into things right now. And maybe the Browns aren't the worst team in the AFC North anymore. But that's later. Today is Dan Whalen. Dan Whalen is a former superstar quarterback in Cleveland. Listen, this guy was a high school stud. Um, went to Case Western, was awesome, uh, was in some NFL camps, was with the Gladiators. He knows how to play quarterback because he was a quarterback. And he and I broke down how the NFL evaluates quarterbacks, rightly and wrongly, and what that means for Baker Mayfield and what Baker Mayfield may mean for the NFL. Uh, really good conversation with Dan. I would suggest you follow him on Twitter at D-W-H-A-L-E-N-5. That's his Twitter handle. He drops some interesting uh, quarterback knowledge in there from time to time. He's a Browns fan, um, and he's a fan of the Baker Mayfield pick. I'll tell you that. So we had a good conversation. Uh, thanks to, list- to uh, you guys for listening to Takes by the Lake. Get subscribed so you never miss it at Google Play. Uh, on iTunes. And you know what? We push this a lot on the Buckeye Talk podcast. The channel, we inherited the channel on iTunes. It was uh, the main Cleveland.com podcast channel previously. So there are some really old reviews in there. I don't know if we have any new reviews. So I will take some five-star reviews on the Takes by the Lake iTunes podcast thing because uh, then that makes us uh, be uh, more popular. Right? I don't know. Just makes me feel good. It's not a bad thing. Can I just have that? But um, thanks to you guys. Follow me on Twitter at Doug Maurice. Read me at Cleveland.com. And for right now, listen to me talk with Dan Whalen about Baker Mayfield and the state of quarterbacks in the NFL. Very happy here on Takes by the Lake to be joined by Dan Whalen. Cleveland through and through, man. So just tell the people, Dan, your bona fides as a as a Clevelander and as a quarterback before we delve into what we're going to talk about. Well, thanks for having me, Doug, and I uh, appreciate it. And, and yes, I am. Uh, I bleed uh, bleed Cleveland. You know, I, I grew up on the east side in Willoughby. I went to Willoughby South High School and uh, was lucky enough to, to go ahead and be a, an all-state quarterback there my senior year. And a slew of, of guys. We had, I think we had six in a row under Coach Matt Duffy that went all state at some point. So, um, you know, pr- pretty solid tutelage there. And uh, ended up going to Case Western and, and kind of from day one uh, took the starting job and ran with it. And we had the, uh, the opportunity as a group of seniors there to, to be the winningest class in school history and all kinds of success for a program that a lot of people I think still don't know has a football program. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's kind of funny that way, but you know, um, I don't think case it had, it had some success like we had since like the 1985 Fred DeSanto was the quarterback the last time, uh, they were that good. And, and then, um, because of that success, I uh, was able to go to mini camp with the Browns and, and briefly with the Steelers, um, and, and from there, I ended up playing two seasons of arena football with the Gladiators and then the Orlando Predators. And then at that point, decided that I uh, wanted to switch gears and um, 
I guess it was a mutual decision between teams and myself. <laughs> but uh, hey, that's how it goes. You can't chase it forever. And I had a had a blast. I got a lot closer to playing on on Sundays than than most guys do, especially from a D three level. So uh, not much to uh, to be dis- disappointed about. Now that's briefly the resume. I like from it from a football standpoint. Yeah, it's better than my resume, man. So that's why I got to have guys like you on this no, podcast. No, it's just different. Just different. I, I like. Know, I was a journalism student back in the day too. See, now that was the only thing I had on you was journalism degree, yeah. and now you got that too. So yeah, I wanted to be a sports writer. I'm very. I think you made the right decision doing something else. <laughs> um, I'm very interested in this conversation because we're going to talk about Baker Mayfield, but we're not going to only talk about Baker Mayfield. We're going to talk about Baker Mayfield in the context of the NFL. And sure. But I do want to lay this groundwork so the listeners understand. You were on Baker early, and I think it's your pinned tweet. Um, is it right? Is that right? Right now is from yeah. January 1st. I'll read this. You tweeted this on January 1st. Baker is nothing like Johnny. His fundamentals are solid. He's clean as hell. Throwing the ball is easy for him. His swag and showmanship are something the Browns could use since the fan base is dwindling. I'm all in. What what was it that, again, as someone who played the position, um, you're a Browns fan, but, but you're also someone who understands the position. What drew you to Baker Mayfield from what you saw watching him? Yeah, well, I gotta be honest. I have a little bit of uh, of a bias towards short guys being six foot myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I te- I always have to just you know check myself and then always you know rewind out of that. And, um, but but I think what I look for first and foremost out of guys you know like uh, like Baker is is just the sheer um, consistency in in accuracy, the improvement year over year. And when you throw seventy one percent and forty touchdowns and eight picks as a junior. And you go and improve upon that as a senior. Um, I, I really just feel like it's extremely difficult to do that. And and then you tie in the fact that on the field, this guy is a, like he's a warrior. Like his team is just you. You can see the energy build as as he you know, kind of gets more and more comfortable behind the center. And over the course of a game, you know, it, it's almost like off the charts the amount of kind of swag and and it's borderline you know some people would would say that it's uh it's above confident it's more um you know what's the word i'm looking for it's it's just some people are turned off by baker right and and i don't see that at all i see a guy that on the field believes he's the best player out there and when you get to the nfl level you have to believe that because if you don't you're, you're already starting you know behind and so uh, for me, it was a combination of, of the the swagger, um, a little bit um, more accuracy than I than I think anybody else in this draft could even come close to, um, and then the fact that you know Oklahoma, um, I, I just think that they, they're well coached across the board. I mean, mm-hmm. coming from the Bob, the Bob Stoops years into uh, into uh, Lincoln um, Riley's year, you know, I, I just feel like he's got some of the best coaching that college football has to offer on the offensive side. And that's another thing we can get into because I think a lot of the coaching in the NFL as well is not um, is not up to snuff with the, the level of, uh, of athletes playing in the league. So um, I guess that's a short summary form of, of what I think. But, you know, we could we could dive deeper into sort of what what stuff 
pops up um, as we get get going here. Well, let, let me let me jump off that Lincoln Riley point you just made because I did write something uh, after the draft. I was I was in on the uh, Baker Mayfield selection. I would have been fine with Darnold as well. Um, and I think we can talk about that too, because I think you would not have been fine with Sam Darnold necessarily. But when I when I looked at Baker Mayfield, I wondered if Lincoln Riley's success was perhaps a question mark for me about Baker Mayfield, because it seems like Lincoln Riley knows how to run an offense. I think he knows how to coach a quarterback. He was the offensive coordinator for two years and his head coach for his last year. Their success is obviously intertwined. Would you yeah. say that... Is that at all a reasonable question for me about Baker Mayfield, or would it be more the other side that that Baker Mayfield being coached by someone like Lincoln Riley for three years yeah. is just an absolute positive for him because he had a good coach who helped him learn how to play the position? That's exactly what it is. I mean, you want a guy that's as as polished as possible, and and. We'll touch base on the Baker Johnny comparisons, I'm sure, as we get get into. But this guy is just so clean. That's what I meant by clean. Is, is his yep. footwork is clean. He is not the guy that's looking to escape the pocket and and make plays kind of improvised. Um, you know, he he genuinely understands what he's seeing. Uh, he anticipates things before they happen. He is at the line of scrimmage and he's controlling the line of scrimmage. I mean, he he understands the game, right? And that's the most important thing. Is you've got a master. The offensive side, but then there's a, comes a point in time, probably you know, into your junior year after you've started a few seasons, where okay, now it's time to master what the other you know, eleven guys across from you are doing. And yep. I, I genuinely think he's there, at least at a collegiate level. I mean, now as you jump to the next stage, you have eleven all-world players on the field at every time, and so um, it, it gets a little tougher, right? You got to be a little faster. You got to be a, a little bit more sure. You got to spend extra time in the film room. Um, I'm a believer that the you know you you got to utilize the entire play clock if you can because look they're not the defense isn't really moving yet and so the more you can determine before the snap happens the easier that four or five seconds is after you get the ball to to make decisions and that all goes back to coaching and you know Lincoln Riley and Bob Stoops before that these are guys that know how to prepare they obviously have no trouble scoring points um, they, yep they've had a number of quarterbacks that. I think you could say uh, are, are very successful either before or at the NFL level. And, and it's just, you, you definitely want a guy who was well coached because there's just not enough time in today's NFL for everybody to sit back and wait for him to get that coaching and, and be prepared moving forward because the window of time that these quarterbacks get now is so short. I mean, you don't get the leeway that you used to. I don't feel like in the NFL, it's especially in Cleveland with our situation. So, yeah, um, you 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 absolutely want to see a guy that has had some good coaching and uh, was actually given the reins to to control a good portion of his offense because so many of these guys are just kind of like robots. Yeah, they're making they're scoring points and they're you know making passes, but they're just doing everything that they're told as opposed to seeing things for themselves. Mm -hmm. and, you know audibling out and, and changing their, their pass protections or, you know, giving their receiver a shake route or a hot route to, to, to kind of, because they see something in the leverage of the defense. Those kind of things are things that, that you got to pick, pick apart in film to say, Oh, this quarterback gets it. Whereas a guy, you know, like, like Josh Allen doesn't get it. And, mm -hmm. um, and not only does he not get it, but he's never had a season high school or pro above 60% passing. And it's just, 
it's mind blowing that a guy like that can ascend to the level that he has in terms of uh, the, the draft um, and you know Buffalo taking him in what eleventh overall. So seven, yeah. You know, yeah, it's or seventh. That's right. They moved up. So yeah, yeah, a lot, lots to say about good coaching. Okay. Let's let's get it. Let's hit a Johnny thing real quick. Then um, I, I just think I think that sort of um, the whole time um, that it it's been unfair. Sort of any of the off field stuff. Any anyone who tried to compare Johnny Manziel and Baker Mayfield um, off the field, I just thought it was an unfair comparison. I mean, Johnny has admitted he didn't study the playbook. We know he had addiction issues. You know, Baker Mayfield did did a a somewhat normal college kid thing with the taco truck. And, and again, I'm not, you don't excuse it, but I don't think it's no. fair to, to, to look at that and then make a leap to Johnny Manziel. And then I view the rest of the on-field stuff as competitiveness. Um, yes. And I would, I want the, and I, and I agree with you, the idea of you, what you had tweeted that you, you, especially Cleveland, I think could especially use that. And, and that's why I like Deshaun Watson, and I, again, I'm not a guy who who breaks down quarterback film, but I liked what Deshaun Watson brought to the table the year before because I thought Deshaun Watson, in a different way than Baker Mayfield, had that. I thought you put Deshaun yeah. Watson in a locker room, and you and guys will rally around him and believe in him. I I see the same yeah. thing with Baker Mayfield, but on the field, yeah. I'm interested yeah. in your on field evaluation. Again, people have done it a million times. I hope people are moving past it, but but is there? Was there any comparison in your mind on the field as a quarterback between Baker Mayfield and Johnny Manziel? None at all. And, and the thing is, human nature, I suppose, is to take the low-hanging fruit. And, and that being out in front of us, and fresh in our minds as Browns fans, you know, with, oh, we got a six-foot-tall quarterback from, at the time, you know, former Big 12 school. And, and you now you have another six-foot-tall quarterback from the Big 12 school. And, and I think that... that that's all that you cling to at that moment. If you if you aren't necessarily a football person, or or if you 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 just don't want those bad memories kind of jumping back in your head every time this kid takes a snap. So I understand where the comparisons come from, but you know, in terms of on the field, the only like thing that I see that, that is at all resembling one another is is that swag. Is that it's almost arrogance, right? And, and I mm-hmm. think at times it, it it does toe the line and step over it as as arrogant. But you want a guy that plays that way, right? But also has to back that up. You have, you have mm-hmm. to follow through, or else that that stuff is just empty. And so, you know, the the one guy that I think plays pretty arrogant on the field on Sundays is Aaron Rodgers, and, and it's it's subtle, but it's there. And um, you know, w- when you have a quarterback like that who consistently delivers, well, then all of a sudden, like I said before, when we first started, his teammates feed off that, yeah. and then they believe that they're better than they are, and then all of a sudden you get this snowball effect and. It starts to, to show itself, you know, in, in such a positive way that um, you kind of sort of create a monster. And I, I think Baker exhibits that, and Johnny, to a point, exhibited that, but it was an entirely different way. You still have to pair that up with the ability to execute on a technical basis. And I, I don't think Johnny was ever a technically sound quarterback. And I actually think I heard some with a podcast an interview with him recently where he he's like, I didn't, I didn't know anything i wasn't taught Mm -hmm. much i was just kind of given the ball and they they just let me go and that's the difference is like a good coaching staff can can see your skill set and can polish it can hone it can harness it and then can use it you know to to their advantage and um i just don't know that that texas a&m johnny manzel ever got that i think it was more like just cowboy like just go and um 
So, so the on-field comparisons are not, for me, valid at all. Okay. You, you know, Bake, Baker's is is just a completely different ball player. The only thing that they have is just the height and you know a little bit of that uh, confidence and competitiveness. All right, I want I want to hit sort of a side issue that's a pet peeve of mine. Um, at the moment, and then we'll really dig in on just sort of the way the NFL evaluates quarterbacks. But something yeah, that always yeah. bothers me lately is when people get all wound up about guys who have not played under under center in college, yeah. and they are. And we've even seen that early on here in rookie minicamp with Baker Mayfield talking about he's got to work on his footwork and all that kind of stuff. The best college programs play a shotgun spread offense now. That's mm-hmm. it's it's this is not. Um, you know, the David Klingler era where a guy who just put up giant numbers in college in a crazy offense like was never going to translate to the NFL, and the NFL couldn't figure that out. The best programs do this. Sam Darnold was in the shotgun. You know, Deshaun Watson's in the shotgun. So if we're going to get wrapped up, the idea that every now and then you'll hear people talk like that Josh Allen at a lower level being in a pro-style offense is, is, is better than being at a great program and playing great competition in the shotgun, especially in an era where more and more NFL teams are going to a lot of shotgun also, it drives me nuts. I understand yeah. it's an adjustment, but but I don't I don't care about it at all. And any evaluation of a quarterback that marks him down for playing in the shotgun in college is bonkers to me. For sure. Okay. And, and it's become sort of an antiquated argument in, in very short order over the past, call it five or six seasons. But if you were to just kind of do a quick Google and then go dive into some, some stats, okay, number of snaps uh, under the under center versus in shotgun of NFL teams, you would see that the trend has just gone, you know, completely in the opposite direction in terms of most teams now are trending being in the gun, especially, you know, if you're going to be in the shotgun it's going to be a pass 75% of the time, right? So these teams, the Patriots, the Falcons, uh, Arizona Cardinals, they're they're in the gun more than they're not these days. Mm -hmm. And um, they're a little bit of that is, is conforming to this, you know, good coaches again, will, will tweak things to meet the skill set of their players. Um, But, you know, some of that is also, it's the evolution of the game. And, you know, stepping back from that though, there is, there is a bit of a different. Um, there's a learning curve if you haven't taken a you know a ton of snaps in the gun. Or I'm sorry, under center uh, to then read a defense while you're moving backwards. Because when you're in the shotgun, you're reading a defense kind of sort of standing still, or you're at least parallel line scrimmage. Well, when you're dropping back, now you're perpendicular. Your front shoulder is kind of uh, 90 degrees from the line scrimmage, and you it just it's an entirely different way of reading the field. And so it, it is a little bit of a uh, of a change. I don't think it's insurmountable. Um, you don't see a ton of plays under center in the NFL these days with straight five and seven step drops. It just it just kind of evolves to say, well, why would we do that when we could get the guy the, the ball five yards deep and already have separation from the line, especially if he's six feet tall. So the shotgun is, is an advantage from that standpoint in that you it just keeps your eyes able to see as much of the field as possible. Where when you're dropping back under center, you you kind of have to see it, it a third at a time, and yeah. so. Um, there, there's some learning curve there, but I think it's a, definitely overweighted at this point because the game is just changing so much. I, I, I do not think that, that if Baker Mayfield does not make it as a franchise quarterback in the NFL, that's not. I don't think that's going to be why, right? 
No, I, I don't think so at all. And I, I also want someone to kind of chart this out. And I'm sure with all these crazy analytics today, somebody will that just watch. I mean, he's, I don't, I hope he doesn't play it down this year. And I don't know if that'll happen or not. We have a tendency, as you know, to, uh, to, to pull guys very quickly, especially when you win one game in your last 35. But, um, I hope he doesn't play it down. I hope Tyrod Taylor kind of, uh, rides us through this, what I'll call a bridge year. Um, and quite honestly, I expect the Browns to win five or six games just based on having a quarterback in there that's got some experience. Plus, we, we did make some pretty pretty sweet moves this offseason for, for the first time in a while that I can say. You know, we got a bona fide uh, a number one type of player at his position in, in Jarvis Landry. And um, there's just there seems to be a momentum building with, with Hyde and some of these other guys that we've picked up, even if they're just here to fill the gap and kind of right the ship. It, it just, to me, <clears throat> excuse me, feels a little different than than the years past and I know it's a little premature to say that but you know I hope we ride through this one year and we're okay with being mediocre uh, you know I hate to say that but uh, we're not winning the Super Bowl this year and right. so you, you gotta let Baker just absorb what's happening because the game is faster um, you've got good guys around you I think in the in the locker room and in, in the film room in, in Taylor and, and Drew Stanton now to to sort of mentor that I think there's that's a uh, it's a little bit um, of a lost art to have a quarterback room where everybody genuinely knows their role and works together. Uh, I mean, you see what's happening in Pittsburgh already with Roethlisberger coming out and, and yucking it up about Mason Rudolph. Well, to me, that's that's already that's a bad that's bad news, right? And I don't yeah. think Roethlisberger is too much of a, of a great mentor. I think he's got an ego himself in a different way than some of these guys that we're talking about. But you want a quarterback room that operates as, as a single unit, and I think we have that based on the guys and, and their history. So for me, it's Baker doesn't play it down. You literally hide his helmet and you, you let him hold a clipboard and, and listen to play calling. And, and then you just be a, a, a film junkie. And then next year's your year where you, you let him take the reins and you run. So Dan, you're, you're saying this is someone again, who's been in, in an, in a camp, right? What, what yeah. is that? Was, is that your philosophy for any rookie quarterback? Because I know there certainly is a perception that, Baker Mayfield is is more NFL ready than Sam Darnold, than Josh Allen. Um, that that if if you know when you saw Tyrod Taylor get here, some people thought that was like a Darnold tell maybe of okay now they're definitely gonna have the guy that they can sit Darnold because he's younger. Um, it, would that just be your philosophy no matter what? If you were part of an NFL franchise, would your I guess you can make it a rule. The rule is rookie quarterbacks you hide their helmet and they don't play. It's such, yeah, it's such a loaded question. I, I would say I tend to lean yes in that, okay. in that, you know, in a concrete answer like that. The, the thing is, Cleveland does for you know have a unique situation. I would say Cleveland and Buffalo are kind of the cities with the unique situation where it's just been so bad for so long, mm-hmm. right? And and so the in your head you're like, oh yeah, but if we put this guy in and he does well, well then all of a sudden he's our savior and we can move forward faster. Yeah, but. You look at the risk and reward of that, and, and you kind of weigh that, and you say, well, yes, but in today's world, not just NFL, but today's world, with the amount of information that's out there, with the, with the fact that, you know, and I think you know this a little bit, but the media's intent to now sort of act as an entertainment business and, and less as a, as a journalism business as a whole creates this constant pressure, and then that stuff just swells and swells and swells. We're back, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, you'd have your beat writers, you'd have your guys, the stuff will get published the next day. And so there's even just a lag in the amount of information and time in which people have to absorb it. Well, now there is no lag. It's on 24-7, 
And if, if you're not producing results for me the second you start touching the field, well, then I'm kind of over you already. And so I, I feel like that is, is playing a role in this. And you look at, you know, my favorite example to point out is Terry Bradshaw, his, his first year in the NFL. He had like seven touchdowns and 24 interceptions and I think a 42% completion percentage. If that had happened in today's NFL, that guy would never see the field again, right? Yeah. And it's Deshaun so Kaiser. When you, yeah. And so, <laughs> exactly. When you look at when you look at guys like that in situation, you say, "What's different?" And I think it's just as a human nature again. It's just to kind of instant gratification. Like, let's get this better now. Let's get this better now. Well, I think you got to let him sit for a minute. You got to understand that you know, unfortunately, this is a process, and the process at this point looks to be let your veteran who came in from a team that I think out overperformed and and now lead a group of guys that still needs to mesh, right? You have a whole bunch of new faces. You've got to get these guys moving in the same direction, and uh, that takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes reps and reps and reps and reps, and it's it's just let, let Baker kind of stand and watch and figure out how it goes, and then when, when he's ready, um, which to me it, it, if you're not going to be out there taking snaps, you're going to be watching them, and you're going to be practicing on your own and on the side. And, yeah, if something catastrophic happens and he's got to play because we have injuries or something, well, that's a different story. But the plan should be, you know, stand over there and watch. And um, the Browns will win five or six games this year, which will be a drastic improvement from where they were the year ago and the year before that. And then we say, all right, now we're ready to put this thing in full throttle and give the kid the reins. All right, let's – talk quarterbacks in general and i'm going to start with some of these some of the tweets you had these are from february i just it was a tweet exchange i thought was really interesting it started with uh someone named rich bartell do you do you know him or were you just respond you know, I, I don't know rich okay. rich was a former nfl quarterback um okay he he hung out kind of as a third string for a couple different teams but i think most recently it was the cardinals but no he's he's just a guy that kind of i think has a good sense for the way things work and he's got a good eye for quarterbacks and he's been tweeting more and more and we just kind of interact here and there okay so i'll start it was an interesting exchange rich bartell who's on twitter at coach rich bartell tweeted qbs it doesn't matter what you're capable of physically what happens in your brain overrides everything from confidence to iq and you said on Twitter, I generally agree. There's certainly a bar that you must be above in order to play the position, but athleticism and physical skill are gravy. It's the preparation and ability to instantly perceive what you're seeing and then execute correctly that matters. Um, yes. Then you had another point. Rich Bartel said the point. No matter the talent level, everyone leaves something on the table if they lack in the mind be it a lack of confidence or IQ. And this is what I thought was your most interesting tweet. This is why I vent on most scout being no better than a coin flip. Honing in on inconsequential physical attributes instead of those that actually lead to wins. Throw in poor coaching in many cases, and most QBs are doomed. So you are not high, Dan, on the the NFL process of evaluating and developing quarterbacks, it sounds like. I think there's, I think there's certainly a bunch lacking, right? Um, especially when you look at, at these NFL teams. Um, over, if you were to just pull up the last ten years of, of first-round quarterbacks drafted, the hit rate on them is 
it's, it's as good as a coin flip. And so I think it's a tendency of teams feeling like, oh, oh crap, we got to draft a quarterback. Okay, pick the best one we think's out there. But if the best one out there isn't a franchise guy, then, then he's not worth taking. And so, you know, my philosophy is that, yes, I think what's between your ears and, and the work ethic that you put in and what you're able to accumulate from a knowledge basis off the field, even before you get out there on, on Sunday and during the week, it trumps tenfold, you know, what you have athletically. Now, look, that's not to say that you can't, you, you don't put any value in that because truthfully, you still got to be an athlete. This is a sport. You're out there mm-hmm. and um, you, you're competing against, you know, gladiators and monsters, guys that when you walk next to them on the street, just don't look human to a degree. Right. And so, I do think, however, that the quarterback position is the one position where the athletic uh, level can can kind of be put to the side because you have all these stud athletes around you whose job is to is to you know sort of, for lack of a better word win their individual battles and quarterback doesn't really have an individual battle you know you have you have a guy like Joe Thomas blocking the the end you have a you have a, a wide receiver got to beat a DB but the quarterback's battle is more cerebral and it's, it's, you're, you're battling all 11 guys where, um, you know, you can have a guy like Joe Thomas neutralize a, um, Von Miller on the outside. And therefore you're not going to have to beat Von Miller with your feet more than once or twice a game typically. Right. And so to draft a guy because he can move around like Johnny Manziel, well, you only want a guy moving around like Johnny Manziel like four or five times a game max. You don't want them doing that 30 plays a game because that's just going to be bad. And so, you know, when I talk about the ability to see something, perceive and act on it, that's something that actually Sam Rattigliano used to tell me when he was kind of mentoring me through this whole process of, of uh, trying to play at the next level. It's just the faster you can process information and the more accurately you can do it, well, the leg up, it gives you a huge leg up on, on all the guys across from me because I promise you there are a lot of guys that rely solely on their athletic ability and they're not putting in the work, uh, you know, Monday through Saturday to prepare themselves for games. So then, Dan, why was why was there a part of the discussion in the build-up to the draft? I think spurred in part by Mel Kuyper continually <laughs> predicting that the Browns were going to draft Josh Allen, and, and you'd have different reports of people, anonymous people who claim to know John Dorsey, saying that like he's going to take the guy with the big arm. Why, are there, why is there a segment of the NFL world, whether it be the media or or scouts, or some coaches in front offices that seem to get locked in on big arm, and and that's about it. Like big arm, yeah. you're not seeing any of the any of the thing on film about evaluating a defense, about being mm-hmm. smart and using your brain. Why are there right. people still obsessed with arms? It's 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 fascinating, right? And it's almost like. It's hard to explain. Again, it's 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 almost like oh, look at the shiny thing over here in the corner. When the the, the smart thing to do is just stay the course and, and stay with the the guys that that do all the things the right way, right? And it's almost like stock markets, right? Oh well, should I sell? No, just hold on and ride it out, right? And so when when you look at the top guys of of what I'll say is like this kind of last generation of quarterbacks. Um, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, um, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, you could throw in there. Aaron Rodgers is kind of the one that has the, the biggest arm of the group, but none of those guys have these, just can throw these balls through a brick wall, right? They just, they can anticipate and they can hit their spots 
and they can be there, you know, a tenth of a second sooner than than another guy. And, and I think that's the difference because, you know, you look at a guy like Joe Flacco, who can throw the ball a mile, but because he doesn't have what those other guys have uh, from either, I don't want to say I don't want to say he's not a competitor, but from the ability to to see things as quickly and, and prepare as well, and to kind of just anticipate what's going on as quickly. Well, he, he's neutralizing. He's kind of just average. And I know he's got a Super Bowl, but you know, I, I don't necessarily put that on his shoulders. It's, it's yeah. like you, you you fall in love with the things that are that you see, and, and you're like, oh well, if, at least if I'm wrong on this, if you're a scout, you know, you say at least if I'm wrong on this, we we can say, well, this guy looks and feels like a quarterback, right? Yep. If Cam Newton, if Cam Newton walks in your door and he's six six and just two hundred sixty pounds, built, you know, kind of like LeBron James in, in a way, like he's got a presence, and that way at least you can say, well, look, if we draft him because he's just he's a quarterback, and that's what he's supposed to look like, and even if he comes out and doesn't play well, you know, we can we can fall back on that. But if you draft the six foot one guy with seventy two percent completions who can you know barely break a, break a pane of glass with the ball, and he doesn't pan out. Well, then what's your fallback position? Huh? What's your cover your ass story, right? And it's just like, um, I, th- I think we have a tendency to, to, to kind of act that way as a, as a whole. And then obviously, yes, the media, the, the, the blowhards like Mel Kuyper and, and those types, they certainly just pour gas on the fire. And, you know, for him, I think for a while he was putting Josh Allen as his number one guy. Well, yep. you never know what's operating in the background there. I mean, Maybe Josh Allen's agent is is paying Mel Kiper a check every couple of weeks to just freshen the story. I don't know. I mean, that stuff happens and it's out there. It's just, um, you know, with the, with the way the NFL is and it's a three hundred sixty five day a year um, entertainment business, uh, you, you kind of gotta just put the blinders on and make your own decisions. And and I wish more teams and more scouts would do that. And I think the Browns did that this season, and hopefully it pans out. And the the one thing that's hard is that. You know, there are exceptions to every rule, right? So 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 Josh Allen might be a superstar. I mean that's not that's not I don't think what you would predict right now. It's not what I would predict. I spent about a month before the draft trying to wrap my head around trying to get in a good place about the idea of the Browns taking Josh Allen because you know, stats and overall evaluations and trends are great, but in the end each pick comes down to the individual guy. And and some guys who don't fit the mold are gonna hit. Um, and some guys who do fit the mold perfectly are going to miss, right? So it's hard. You can't just point to one guy and say, see, see, you were wrong. So, so, but I just think the process that led them to Baker Mayfield seems like a sound process to me. Even if, even if maybe more than half the teams would have taken Sam Darnold number one or had Sam Darnold on their board, uh, as the number one quarterback, I still think it's a sound process process that the Browns did this. Do you think it is any indication that the process might be changing, at least for some teams, that they're not going to think about big arm? They're not going to think about size? You know, Hugh Jackson's out here saying, I want a quarterback who's at least 6'2". I have a threshold. But yet, there's a lot of teams that seem to be fine with like super inaccurate guys, and you don't necessarily hear teams say, I have a threshold of a 60% completion rate in college you know like they talk threshold physically and then they make excuses for a lot of the things that you see on tape if you meet a physical threshold is that going to be more in the past and is the nfl on the whole going to maybe come around to more of a process that will lead us to more 
quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield and fewer quarterbacks like Josh Allen at the top of the draft. No, I think I, I think analytics will play a role in it, but you know, until these front offices um, are the ones that are making all the decisions, you're still going to have these scouts and and to a degree, some coaches and G. I mean, GMs. There are a number of GMs that that come from an analytic background or or more of a um, personnel side than a, than a pure football side. You know, some of these guys played, some of them didn't. Uh, I don't think that you necessarily have have to play to to get it, um, but I think there's something to be said about just the way the NFL operates in the sense that a lot of these guys got in the fraternity at an early age, you know, either in the scouting department or, you know, being a um, kind of a clipboard holder and charting plays on the the sidelines, whatever it may be. And then they just kind of ride that wave without necessarily learning um, the right skills. Right. Mm -hmm. And I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but these guys, it's such a fraternity. And then there's still this degree of ego that takes place in the coaching realm. Like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm at the highest level of coaching the same way these guys are at the highest level of play. And so I know best. And these guys literally will take a Josh Allen, a Jamarcus Russell and say, look, he's, he's built the way we want him to be built. We can polish the turd and make it the way we want it to be. And, and we can fix these things that have never ever exhibited themselves as strengths on this guy. And not just not like their, their weaknesses of the most important things, of like, the most important got- things. You've got to be accurate. You, you, you've got to be, you know, you've got to have the right headspace. You've got to be able to see the way this guy acts under pressure, right? If you're in a two-minute drill, how is this guy's body language? What, what is he doing to, to show you that he is not um, rattled and, and that he can deliver? And has he done this consistently? And those types of things. And if you're enamored with the fact that this guy is six foot four, two thirty, and has a, a cannon, but he can't, you know, can't hit a checkdown route or can't throw a flare out to the to the numbers and you think we can fix that yeah i I think that's where a lot of teams go wrong is is just the pure ego that is on a lot of these coaching staff to say look don't worry about that we'll we'll make him better well then they forget how quickly you know may becomes august and you're in a training camp and all of a sudden the media is breathing down your neck the fan base is breathing down your neck you went eight and eight last year and now you need to be 12 and four it's just you don't have time to sit and focus on stuff that should be at this point, at the NFL level, elementary and, and kind of second nature. And so I think that's where a lot of teams go wrong. So I can't say that the NFL on a holistic level is going to evolve their selection process. I think it'll it'll happen somewhat over time with the new analytics and mm-hmm. teams. But you got to, again, convince yourself to go with logic and not emotion. And I right. think that's the hardest thing for a lot of guys to do. And that's the hard thing. And I don't want to turn this into a, a Sashi Brown conversation at all. But like when, <laughs> whenever people talk about football guys – you know, mm-hmm. football guys screw it up, like, all the time. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. f- football guys are wrong constantly. Now, lots of people are, are, are wrong, right? And that's sort of the point that you made, um, that it's very hard to select a franchise quarterback. You know, a lot of guys who look like they're going to hit end up missing. Obviously, development and the right situation and good coaching goes into this um, to a large degree. But but if 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 there are football guys out there who would not have taken Baker Mayfield, or if there are foot like I don't care, they they, right. they 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 are wrong. You know they. Tom Brady went in the sixth round. You know pe- some people wanted Ryan Leaf over Peyton Manning. You know like again, mm-hmm. you can't just run down the list of mistakes. But 
But they, I, I just think a lot of people, and, and again, it's an individual player. Each decision is about an individual player. But I do think for a long time, overall, the point that you are making is this league has valued, when it comes to quarterbacks, it has valued the wrong things. And to me, the thing that I would look for, and again, and we can talk about Darnold real quick if you want. You know, I like yeah. a guy, one, can you identify in the pocket quickly, can you identify what's going on and make an accurate throw, right? That to me mm-hmm. is, is top of the list. And then right. two is when stuff breaks down, are you are you enough of an athlete to either, you know, shuck off, shuck off a sack and make a throw like a Roethlisberger mm-hmm. kind of thing or get out of the pocket and make a throw on the move? So right. I, I do want, you know, I do want maybe a little bit something there athletically to help you when things break down. But... I just – arm, I asked John Dorsey this question before the draft, and he didn't really give a good answer, but I said, what do you value more, brain or arm? And I know it's not that simple. But right. to me, I mean, I want a guy with a great brain and a good arm rather than mm-hmm. a good brain and a great arm. And I just yeah. – you know, it's just it's just interesting to me. There are always going to be outliers, and everybody's going to mm-hmm. – the thing that's going to be interesting is that if Baker Mayfield succeeds, I think a lot of people are going to call him an outlier and and yeah. use that as an excuse to not trend maybe toward more quarterbacks like that. When I think it's possible that if Baker Mayfield hits, he shouldn't be an outlier. He should be an indication that people have been evaluating it wrong and you need to rethink the way that you look at quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree with that. Um, I think... You know, if we're going to compare him to guys that, that are currently in the NFL, as, you know, versus Johnny Manziel, it, it, he's much more of a Russell Wilson kind of kind of guy than he is a Johnny Manziel kind of guy. And I think the off-field stuff, even though it's one bad decision by a 20-year-old kid, you know, it compares him automatically to Johnny. Whereas if you watch the way he plays football and the way he commands a huddle and the way he understands the line of scrimmage uh, and the amount of accuracy and the, and the improvement year over year, um, it starts to to tell us the story, you know, much more like a Russell Wilson than it does does the other way. And so I think Russell and so I was wrong Russell early and, and Dak Prescott and th- th- I think Dak still has some proving to do, but um, you know I I just feel like there's something to be said about the looking at the right things and and, and finding the skills and the qualities that that are going to exhibit themselves in the form of, of wins at the next level yeah and um a lot of teams just haven't pinpointed that yet and i think um and there's still work to, to be to be put into that but hopefully you know when i watch i read john dorsey comment you know from a couple weeks back saying when we when we interviewed this guy and we were working him out we left the building i was like that's our dude so it was almost like you know, Sonny Weaver Jr. on the note, Baker Mayfield, no matter what, it's kind of what it felt like after that because you heard John Dorsey and the rest of the guys in the front office like now that they're speaking. Like, they tuned out the noise. They said, we're not mm-hmm. going to listen to anybody else. We saw what we needed to see, and we're convinced that this is the right pick. And for the next, whatever, four, five, six weeks, uh, they never wavered. And it showed themselves by, you know, going up there and picking them number one overall. And so hopefully that that – that means that their process uh, is a sound one, and that's all you can hope for. 
Last question, Dan, and I appreciate your time on this. We'll, we'll zero in back again on the pick after we got went big picture there for a while. Mm-hmm. I would have been fine with Sam Darnold. Um, obviously, yeah. to me, Darnold was somewhere, you know, if, if Baker Mayfield's one extreme and Josh Allen's another extreme, Sam Darnold's somewhere in the middle. I think it's easy to, like, land in the middle, you know, and, that's, and, and I don't know that that's necessarily, a, like, a good thing. I think if you believe in your processes and your process leads you to to an extreme, that's fine. Take the guy you want, which is why on some level, I just wanted the Browns to take a quarterback number one for a franchise that hadn't taken a quarterback in the top 20 since Tim mm-hmm. Couch. Identify your guy and take your guy. If you believe in it and believe in your process, I'm going to try to believe in that, even if it would have been Josh Allen. But the point about Sam Darnold, I thought I saw a guy who could make some throws in the pocket, good athlete, Probably a little better athlete. No, I don't think probably. He's a better athlete than Baker. Can get out of the pocket and make plays. W- would you have been okay with Sam Darnold for the Browns? Or 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 how stark of a difference do you think there was between Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold? I'll say this. I, I think I think there's a big difference in the amount of accuracy. Um, and to me, accuracy is, if it's not one, it's 1A in traits I need, right? And yep. um, I thought Sam Darnold was reckless at times. Like, and I know he... He has flashes of film and, and tough moments where he makes plays, but he's also got about as many in tough moments where he makes the wrong play or kind of you know, does something boneheaded. And so I was kind of wishy-washy on that. And again, he's only played two full seasons, and I know that that's probably enough time for you to make a decision, but to me, reps are everything. The more reps, the easier it is for you to transition because you've seen the same thing enough times. Um so to say I would have been okay with it, maybe. I, I can't say. I mean, to me, the top two guys in this draft were Baker and Mason Rudolph. And that was an unpopular opinion, and that's fine. Um, but I truthfully, when you look at the history, even the last 10 years, of quarterbacks drafted in the first round, it's 50-50. I mean, everybody thinks everybody thinks franchise quarterbacks grow on trees, and if you pick mm-hmm. one in the first round, that, that it's just he's going to be a franchise guy. Well, it hasn't worked out that way. I mean, you have so many guys – even in the last five years that have just kind of faded. Um, and it, it seems to be that for every guy that gets drafted uh, in the first round, another guy drafted in the first round kind of is never to be heard from again uh, pretty quickly thereafter. And so um, we're lucky. We're spoiled in the sense that we have four or five quarterbacks in the league at, at once. I mean, I know Peyton retired, but you know, between him and, and the guys I mentioned before, uh, you know, in this talk, it's, we're spoiled by seeing some of the greatest quarterback play we've ever seen in the league all at once. And eventually these guys are going to all retire and then it's going to have to be the next, next man up. And I just don't know that we're going to see the same level of quality across the board that we've seen on those top five or six guys for the last decade. And, and because of that, we assume that oh, if we take a guy in the top five, he's going to be Peyton Manning or he's going to be Aaron Rodgers. It's not that easy. And you know, franchise quarterbacks, guys that, stand the test of time and, and lead your, your team for seven, eight, ten years, they're hard to find. And even when they do that, you're not even guaranteed to, to make the playoffs more than a few years, and you're definitely not guaranteed to win a Super Bowl. So it's not an easy job to, to find the guy, and it's not an easy job to be the guy. Dan Whalen, great stuff, man. Thanks for taking time. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you uh, having me on, and uh, I love talking football, and hopefully, you know, next year or so we can say, hey, we made the right choice, and uh, the Browns are, are heading in a different direction. We'll have you back on, Dan. Thanks for the help. And that's it for another Takes by the Lake podcast. Thanks to Dan Whalen. Thanks to you guys for listening. I'm Doug LaMaurice. 
follow me on Twitter at Doug Maurice. Read me at Cleveland.com. We'll continue to pump out these uh, takes by the lakes uh, through the spring. And um, keep talking about the Browns and the Cavs, maybe, and the Indians. So thanks to you guys again. And we'll talk to you next time.